Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, you're building a family of faith more than you are building individual Christians. And sometimes, lots of times in this country, over the course of our life, we've been so individual in our focus that that we forget you're building a family. You see the family, not just the individuals. So, Father, blend us today in a very special way into that family focus and family feeling until we know that our lives individually are caught up with the lives of those around us. And someday we'll spend all eternity with them and countless others. Bless us with that thought and and by your Spirit help us to, to just embrace it more and understand your desires for us. For we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had seven opportunities. I've had seven opportunities since we began this series we call Red Letter Living to draw your attention to the red letter words we're going to give our attention to this morning. Specifically, every one of those opportunities has been the first fruit services we've had ever since January. January. February, March, April, May, June, July. Is that seven? Always used to be. August is the eighth month. So here's the eighth opportunity to look at these particular scriptures. You see, the red letter focus that we have this morning is the one found in the passages relating to the Last Supper. The very event that gives us the words we use in our celebration of communion. The worship moment we call the Lord's Supper. Now, I could have used them every single month. Every first fruits, we could have gone to these very ones. But when it comes to a a particular message, a message, a red-letter living message, we can really only do that once, and today's when we're going to do it. You see, there's no worship moment more important or more profound. There is more, no worship moment more filled with power and potential than that moment we can call the Lord's Supper that we engage in together. We're going to share that moment in just a little bit. But before we do, let's allow Jesus' own red-letter words to set the stage for us. Let's let those words remind us of the nature of this meal, this communion meal. Let's let them help us see this meal the way that Jesus saw and his disciples experienced the very first one. So three observations I would share with you this morning based upon the actual words that came from Jesus' mouth. First observation I would share with you is this. It was a somber meal. I don't know if I've ever referred to the Last Supper as that way before. 
And that's not the best way to just start right out a message, but, but that's the way Jesus started out the evening. It was a somber meal, or at least it became that, once he spoke these red-letter words. John 13, 21, Jesus says, One of you is going to betray me. said that pretty much at the beginning of the evening. One of you is going to betray me. Can you imagine the impact that announcement had upon the disciples? They had just gathered together for the most important meal of the entire Jewish year, the Passover meal. The meal that reminded them of the greatness of God. The meal that reminded them of the greatness of the miracle God had wrought in delivering the Hebrew people from Egypt in that event known as the Exodus. The Passover meal was to be a time of remembrance and celebration. The Passover meal, you pretty much could say, had every single American holiday rolled into it. Everything that excites us about Christmas and about Thanksgiving and about Resurrection Day, we as believers, all of that for the Jews was rolled into the Passover meal and that celebration. This would now be perhaps the third Passover that Jesus and his disciples had celebrated together. And they knew, the disciples knew for sure that his ministry was heading toward its conclusion. Now all the preparations for this meal had been made. And they had finally, for this night, Jesus all to themselves. I'm sure they were, they were excited when they came into that room and took their seats. But then, before the meal had even begun, Jesus says what he just said that we read. It would really be the last chance he would have to say this to them. One of you is going to betray me. Now, Jesus knew it was going to happen that very night, so he couldn't wait till the next time they were together. Then he would have to say, remember one of you betrayed me? It'd be old news to them. Here, it's an announcement. And they have no idea who he's talking about. He looks at them, these excited fellows who are there for this incredibly important night. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, when he said that, those words shocked them, stunned them, and if we understand what went on there, and it didn't take much to say it scared them. Scared them, because the Bible says every single one of them looked at Jesus and said, is it, is it I? Could it be me? Wouldn't that just scare you to death? If Jesus came right into our church this morning just with this bunch of us and he came right up here on the platform and says, I need to make an announcement. One of you is going to sin horribly this week. Ooh. Now, what are our chances? I mean, just think the percentage of it. You know, maybe, you know, maybe there's 75, 80 people somewhere in this. You know, and you're just one. Would you say, I'll take my chances. I haven't sinned badly in so long, I doubt that I'm going to sin badly this week. 
Or might you be the one to at least think inside yourself, oh wow, I hope, we'd probably say, I hope it's not me. But every one of us probably would have the feeling that it could be. So think through now a few of these statements that you have right in front of you on your sheet and we'll put on the screen about these words. First off, we can say, those words, one of you will betray me. Those words draw attention to the weakness within that that we all possess. Every one of us, me included, possesses, has an area of weakness within us. So as soon as Jesus said those words, every one of them, knowing their own humanness, could say, is it me? Oh, don't let it be me. But it could be. I know how weak I am. I know how vulnerable I can be. Those words draw attention to the weakness within that we all possess. There is always the possibility that we fail him. Always. Every Sunday when we leave this place and head out those doors, we joke about it sometimes, don't we? That before we get to our car, something crops up in us. You notice you have a flat tire in your car and there's an explosion from you that is not the explosion of praise you just had in here. Sometimes you get in the car, not by yourself, but with members of the family who halfway home have already driven you nuts. There's a weakness within. And it'd be nice if it just stayed deep down. But it stirs. There is always the possibility that we fail the Lord Jesus. Every communion table since that very first one, that very first night, has been surrounded by those who battle with weakness. With those who are capable of sinful deeds. And the one that we will generate this morning will be no different. And so really, we can say no other meal can remind us of that reality like this one does. The communion meal should always remind us that there is weakness within, that we need to be aware of, that we need to make provision for, that we need to trust God, that it stays within and doesn't come out. And we rely upon his strength where we are weak. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words that you have before you this morning to the church in Corinth. Long, long time ago he wrote these words. Not long after Jesus spoke these words, Jesus, Paul wrote these He said, now, let a man examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Before you take part in what we call communion. Let a man examine himself. How long? 
Now, don't raise your hand and don't speak out. But how long of an examination, how thorough of an examination do you need to go through before you determine you are still weak and capable of sin? Might you have to, say, review your life for the last couple of years before you get back to your last one? Or might you only have to examine your life a couple of minutes? Might you only have to examine your life just the the last day or so and say, oh, the reason communion is so important to me is because I always come as a weakened person needing renewed strength from God. Paul says we do that. See, these were young believers. This is back in the first century. And Paul said, now let me remind you before you get all up here. Let a man examine himself before he eats of this bread and drinks of the cup. That is always a proper approach to take. Now I imagine a good number of you have done that this week. I sent out in the middle of the week just a reminder. Sunday is first fruits. Well, it's day one. If everyone's going to slip by us, it's going to be that one. Now, I know when it comes to our first fruits offering, some of you will put little notes in there that says, don't cash this till the end of the week. That's fine. That's fine. In fact, I get a delight out of that. Because this is a person who does not want to miss, but the, the money's on its way. It's a tie the head of the harvest. But this is the only chance we have all month. And so we, you know, we recognize that uh, we need to approach this in such a unique way. This day, there's always something in our life. No one could ever make such an examination and then say, finally, today, I come to communion completely sinless and pure. Right there's a sin. It's called a lie. (laughs) And so we come to communion knowing how far short we still fall. But we come to communion also knowing that we've been declared sinless and pure due to the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. The Father says, in my eyes you are sinless and pure. And we say, praise God. Praise God. So therefore, what might have remained a somber meal can become something far different. Here's a second observation I'd share. Not only was it a somber meal, the way that Jesus began it, and he confronted them with their weakness and really their need of him and what he's about to do on the cross, he then let them know this is a symbolic meal. A symbolic meal. The, the Jews didn't really, uh, they were remembering something, but uh, the lamb was a lamb. The bread was bread. But Jesus then points out this meal we're having tonight has a symbolic nature to it. And he says to them, red letters, this is my body given for you, he said as he picked up some bread. This is my body which is given for you. 
And then he picks up the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. And all of a sudden, this meal became something it never was before. First off, it became a meal that pointed at Jesus rather than a historical event. And then he also says the elements of the meal take on a character that you've never given them before. This bread is my body and this cup of wine is my blood they could see that it actually literally wasn't, so he's talking about what it represents and a symbolic kind of thing, but never had the bread of that meal represented anything but bread, and never had the cup of wine represented anything but wine. But now Jesus takes a turn. Forever after, this meal would be viewed differently by them, and it's viewed that way by us down through all the years. This, this is my body, this bread given for you. Well, what does that mean? This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. What does that mean? You see, everything, as you can see on your, your sheet there, everything stood for something else. And something that the disciples would have never imagined. You see, they didn't walk into that room after they had set it all up with the bread and the meal and everything. None of them said, I wonder what Jesus is going to do with that bread tonight. He always does something different in the meal. No, he doesn't. This is the first time he's done anything like this. They didn't even suspect he would do anything like that. But that night, everything stood for something else. There's a picture being painted here right in front of them. A reality being illustrated here. Jesus was speaking of his own death. His death for us. New life given to us. No other meal can do that for us. So the bread is not just bread. And the cup of grape juice we're going to share, even this morning, is not just a cup of grape juice. They each stand for something. An incredibly important something. They serve as a vehicle of remembrance, transporting us back to Calvary. Back to Calvary where the body of Jesus breathed its last breath and where the blood of Christ was shed. These are symbols when we take them today, these are symbols of sacrifice and forgiveness. They serve to convey the love of God for man and for each of us personally, individually. And so what do they do? If we understand them properly, they call us. They call us to surrender. To surrender ourselves to Christ as our Savior from sin and to the Father as the one who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, and the one who would then completely and eternally forgive you, and to the Spirit who has come to transform you into the glorious child of God that the Father desires you to be. These elements, they call us to surrender. Reign in me. 
It's really reign in me, Father, Son, and Spirit. Always, isn't it? The Father who calls us to be his child and gives us new birth. The Son who died to pay for our sins and and give us the opportunity of that new life. And then the Spirit who walks us right into the full experience of it. Surrender, surrender, surrender. It's much more than just bread and juice, isn't it? Well, let me share this final observation. Now, it might have started out as a somber meal, and then it became a symbolic meal as Jesus explained things to them. But whenever we recall his former words, they and we, because the disciples heard him say these things earlier, they and we understand it was actually a sublime meal. Awesome. Something was happening there that had never happened before and does never happen except right there in that meal. Jesus said this back in John chapter 16, verse 56. He said, he who eats my flesh. Well, what did he just say? This bread is my body. The disciples could put that together. You and I can put that together. He who eats my flesh, this bread is my body, is to be considered to be as though it were me. So when you eat that, you are partaking in him, the way he said. It's a spiritual thing, but you're almost consuming him. The power, the strength, the goodness, the grace of the Son of God. He who eats my flesh, he who drinks my blood, remains in me. And I in him. There's a bond. A bond created. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. And I in him. Those words contain a promise and a hope. Those words provide encouragement and strength. Those words connect us to Christ himself as nothing else can. It lifts us into his heavenly presence. No other meal can do that. No other meal can lift us up like this meal. So really... When you think about it, there's nothing better we can ever do. There is nothing better we can ever do than connect with Jesus Christ in communion. Do you realize you can take communion all by yourself? Every day, if you want to. Every day, you can allow, just bring yourself to that table and take some bread and take some juice and, and just go through the recognition and the, the uh, examination and look unto Jesus and let those elements do for you exactly what Jesus said they should do to draw you to him in a way that, that you feel empowered once again having Christ in a very special way abiding in your heart and you abiding in him even in the heavenly realms where he is and just be caught up caught up and and start the day with that kind of uh, breathing the air of heaven almost and then walk around this world and don't get corrupted 
because you're already coming from a different place. See, no meal can do that for us. It links us to him in a way nothing else can. He becomes identified as uniquely our own. And like Paul said, or John said, I think I was caught up to the heavenlies. Communion can catch us up to the heavenlies and we can be affected by heavenly realities. That's what Jesus desires. That's what we want to have happen this morning when as a group together we share the bread and the cup and we say, Lord Jesus, our Savior, we yield ourselves once again to you. We rejoice in the salvation you've given us. We ask you to just continue to guide us by your spirit and cleanse us and make us what you'd have us be and and receive from that everything that he desires and receive from that what nothing else can provide. What we do this morning is a one-time, one-kind-of-thing. Just ready your heart. Ready your heart. Our final thought says this. Nothing known to man can compare to the Lord's Supper. It's a meal like no other. It's not just first fruits and we're doing communion again. Let this be something you've never, ever done before in your life, in your mind, in your heart, and saying, this is Jesus himself giving me a chance in this spiritual way to be lifted right up into his presence and be affected by heavenly realities. He on the throne and all the things that await me there. Heavenly Father, this is what we ask. We ask for something absolutely extraordinary. We ask that this communion might have an effect upon us and within us that it will change us. Father Jesus, the first communion was with his own weak disciples. They knew how frail they were. Father, we are still frail because the flesh has not been taken out of us. But we are also strong because the Spirit's been put into us. And it's even possible to put the flesh to death. To just overcome it. To rise above it. To stare it eye to eye and, and watch it surrender, at least in the moment. Because the power of God is upon us and within us. The Spirit of God is enabling us. And Father, this communion is going to lift us into the heavenly realms. Affect us by heavenly realities. So that we go home today much different than we came in. We go home fortified. We go home delighted. We go home just ready to do your will. This we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. 
All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.